Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Talking to Change, a motivational interview podcast. My name's Glenn Hines, and I'm based in Derry, Northern Ireland, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Sebastian Kaplan in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hi, Seb. Hey, Glenn. Good to see you. And you, man. And welcome, everybody, to an episode where we're joined by two guests today. We have returning guest, Mallory DeSalle, with Lodge McCammon, as they build on the work that Mallory had previously introduced us to, which was around therapeutic humour. And I'm just wondering, Seb, what did you take away from today? Uh, well, I took a couple things away. One thing was the definition of humor that they offered, which is always interesting to hear people apply a phrase that's pretty common language. People know what humor is and know what they experience it. But it was interesting to hear them define it and how that definition is relevant to a clinical context. And the second thing relates to my interest in acceptance and commitment therapy, which some might remember Robin Walzer discussing on a recent episode. And one of the things about acceptance and commitment therapy that you're trying to help the client with is helping them be more flexible in their relationship with thoughts and feelings and memories and pain. And it seemed like what Mallory and Lodge were sharing with us in terms of the work that they do was a way to use humor to increase flexibility with a client's relationship with something that would be unpleasant or difficult in terms of thoughts or feelings or or other internal events like that so uh those are the things that stood out for me how about you glenn yeah it's, it's that just what you're saying there that this wasn't therapeutic humor and, and the description that mallory and law share with us isn't really that idea you know how do how are we going to make these people laugh themselves in their recovery so it's not about telling jokes it's not about getting them to just laugh for the sake of it it's, it's that use of humor as a, a means of shifting thinking and the focus recognizing the there is a situation that an individual is experiencing, but what happens if we help them process their experience of that slightly different, or more particularly, initially process the way they think about the situation? And by changing the way they think about it, they change the emotional experience of it as well. The, this incident remains true, or the situation remains true. It's just how they uh, experience it and then process it and then find different ways of responding to it in a way that's going to be consistent with how they would like things to be under those circumstances. So it's a really interesting episode, and I take on a piece of work with them, not not so much looking at a therapeutic change, but how they would prepare an individual for some therapeutic work or the use of therapeutic humour in a piece of work. And then at the end of today's show, I think you're going to share a bit about what happened when you went back to work and you worked with your group in the hospital. Yeah, so... If people don't know, sometimes we'll wait a few days in between the interview recording and recording this introductory piece of the episode. And in the meantime, or in the interim period, I had an opportunity to use one of their strategies uh, in a clinical context and thought it it worked quite well. And um, so after you hear the, the interview with Mallory and Lodge, we'll return and I'll share that story. Excellent. So let's get on with the show. Hello and good morning, Mallory and Lodge. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So as we start, typically, we like to hear about our guests and get a bit of their background. In, in this case, obviously, Mallory, you've been on our podcast before, so we have heard a bit about your background and early in my story. Lodge, uh, we have not met you before um, as far as the podcast goes. So maybe we can hear a bit about uh, your background, Lodge, and, and then both of you can share a bit about how you've come to work together. 
Uh, thank you so much for having us. Great to see you all. Great to hear you all. My name is Lajwa Kamen, and uh, I worked in the education industry for about 20 years. I have a PhD in education, very interested in in uh, experiential design. Um, my career ended up being heavily focused on uh, designing ways or helping ways, helping ways, there it is, helping teachers find ways of reducing the amount of lecture time they're spending in their classrooms, understanding that when we're lecturing, it's one of the most ineffective ways of transmitting information to students for, for the purposes of learning. And so I spent most of my career uh, trying to make a dent in that to some degree, and that was very engaging. And then a few years ago, my girlfriend um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and I was her full-time caregiver through the whole process, and it was horrendous. Um, but during that caregiving process, I reached out or I tried to learn a lot about humor and comedy to help me cope. And I wrote thousands and thousands of jokes about being a caregiver, the cancer experience, and then started writing about all sorts of issues in my life to try to diffuse some of that tension, some of that frustration that I was encountering that we all encounter throughout our daily lives. Uh, there are lots of issues. And so uh, that drove me to want to get involved in what we call therapeutic humor. I was made aware of an organization called the, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, which Mallory was on the board at the time. And I received an email from AATH about an opportunity to do some workshops. And Mallory was listed as the first person giving a workshop and I read her bio. She's a therapist. She's a professor at Indiana University. And I thought, wow, this is, this might be an interesting connection for me as I continue to develop and design, uh, solutions and interventions inside the therapeutic humor space. So I went to her workshop, followed up with an email afterwards and said, let's talk. And it's about a year later now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Lodge. So, one of the things that have helped Lodge and I develop this connection is the belief that evocation is the way people take lasting impressions away. So when we started talking about humor, he actually started me improving my stand-up, which uh, started at the Motivational Interviewing Network of Training Forum in 2014 when I did my first stand-up set. And those are the best places to actually perform comedy because of all the empathy in the room. They're like, we will laugh with you no matter what, um, even if you're not funny, which by the way, I wasn't. And what I learned was that humor and motivational interviewing have a lot of shared internal values. And I learned that right away by actually observing how Lodge helped me use humor. He was using a lot of reflective listening skills. And I was blown away. I said, have you ever learned motivational interviewing? And he's like, I don't, I don't know what that is. And I said, well, you're doing it. And it's sort of overwhelming to me that someone who's never sat through a training is using it so well and applying it to humor. I'm interested in humor. You're interested in humor. I use motivational interviewing. You do too, Lodge. You just don't know it. And let's create an intervention based on the shared value system. And so Lodge actually, since that time, has 
attended my motivational interviewing training, um, mainly because I made him, uh, but also because he's a, a kind partner in, in our work together. And over the course of the last year, we have used the strategy of humor helps us talk about our ambivalence in a way that helps us feel safe at exploring solutions. And that's brought us to where we are today, where we are sharing our humor intervention with the world, testing it out and bringing it to Talking to Change podcast. So it's a little bit about our partnership story. Fantastic. And, and one of the things I wrote down as you were talking there, Lodge, was the idea of dark humor and certainly somebody from Northern Ireland. We, you know, dark humor is something that, that I'm very familiar with, the idea of, of turning painful and, and challenging experiences into something to laugh about. Um, and it sounds like that's, that's where this all started for you in relationship with, with your partner and, and her cancer journey. And then and meeting Mallory, what, what was interesting was the way you were describing that Lodge was using reflective listening with you, Mallory. And I'm, I'm just curious what, what type of conversations were coming up because it sounds like it was the genesis of what it is you're now here to talk about, that there was an interchange that, that was about humour that tweaked your interest or tweaked your curiosity. So what type of conversations were you having that, that had Lodge reflectively listening to you? Honestly, they were vulnerable conversations about challenges and change, whether it was about frustrations in the household or real life. I think our initial conversations were very light, airy. How are you? What's funny to you? Let's understand what your goals are. And then what I observed is he was reflecting that back, even just, oh, that's cool. You've studied humor here and you've done that. And he was engaging with me and reflecting it back, showing me that he was listening. And I noticed that and I said, oh, my gosh, I feel very safe and like I can trust. But then I wanted to reciprocate that. And so I'm like, OK, I need to use my active listening skills. But that's when we started to see, OK, we can use humor to go deeper than just reflective listening. And, and reflective listening is quite powerful. How can we evoke using humor? And that's when we started to think outside of just, am I a pure? Mm. And to put, put more specificity to it in terms of sort of process, what, what ended up happening sort of early on is we would have longer form conversations about life, philosophy, uh, education, training, all these types of issues. And kind of regularly, I, I've trained myself to do this over the years and put a lot of work and time into it. I speak or I see the world, at least in part, through the lens of humor. So I'm able to sort of access that in a way just through lots and lots of practice. And so from a functional standpoint, many times we'd be having a conversation about, you know, a, a frustration in the household. Mallory has a lot going on in her life, in her personal life, three kids, um, husband, a lot of responsibilities. And so she would tell me a story, something, wow, th this is something that's weighing on me a bit, or this is something that I'm, I'm working on or even excited about. And regularly, I would be listening to that story from from a place of empathy and kindness and compassion. But I would also be making notes while I'm listening. And then at the end of her story of the conversation, I would send her a joke about that issue that mm. she just told me, that story she's told me. And I would invite her to then say, well, how does this joke speak to your issue? Do you like this? And she would modify it, send it back. Then I'd send it back to her, send it mm. back, back to me. And then at the end of it, 
she would pull out her phone and record a, a stand-up bit that's 40 seconds long that is a joke about the issue that we were just discussing. So that's, I think that's sort of the arc of the work of what, what we ended up doing certainly a lot of um, in the past year. Wow. So uh, like organic development of two friends and colleagues talking about lives and work and kids and what have you, and just sort of discovered these therapeutic skills, I guess, in each other that also blended in with your bent towards humor. And lo and behold, you start to develop, I guess, an intervention or, or a model of, of how to talk with someone who is going through an experience or thinking about change. And it makes me think like it could be useful to understand at a pretty deep level here about like when you talk about humor, like it's a word that, I mean, everyone can kind of relate to that. But what do you mean by, by humor? Like what, how are you defining that? Or when, when you use that word in this context, what do you mean? Lodge, do you want to give your definition of humor or the humor, the way we use it? You, you mean the definition of humor? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. When we talk about humor, so the, the, this is sort of tricky work and we're finding it's very tricky because many people, not everybody, but many people we come across, um, we say, you know, humor or therapeutic humor. Uh, when people hear humor, they think comedy. They think dark humor. They think punching down. Oh, we're going to be making fun of people. We're going to be making people feel really, really bad. We're going to be saying wildly inappropriate things. We're going to be talking about taboos. We're going to make ourselves feel poorly. Um, so therapeutic humor is the, the attempt to be the opposite of that. So if somebody has that preconceived notion, and also I think that a lot of people think humor and they're like fun, so ineffective, and there's no basis for this. It's just people goofing off. Um, so no, none of that is is accurate when it comes to our work. It's quite the opposite. So humor, um, sort of the basic transactional nature of humor is – it's just sort of two pieces. It's it's the setup, a, a situational setup. It's I'm saying something real in my life. Um, I had COVID and it was really difficult. All right. That's a that's a real statement. And saying a statement like that, something real uh, creates tension in our lives. I mean, I, I could feel that like yeah, I had COVID and it was <laughs> extremely difficult. Uh, so that creates tension. And the other part of humor, the other side of humor is the punchline, the twist, that which diffuses the tension. And so I might say something like, I had COVID and it was really difficult. And that creates the tension. That's a setup. And then I might say, well, I mean, at least I don't have to wash my hands anymore. Um, and that diffusion for me, I think, okay, well, whew, right. That's an absurd take on it. That's not true, uh, but I can jump into this absurd world where, oh, you know, saying something like that diffuses some of the tension of that issue up front. So humor is a statement of setup that creates tension and then some sort of punchline that diffuses the tension for the client. And then the outcome, many times, depending on what that punchline is, it results in a laughter, in, in some sort of physical manifestation of the diffusion, the further diffusion of tension. So uh, that's really what, from our therapeutic sense, I think that's what we're talking about. It's it's inviting clients to create some tension by being honest and then diffuse that tension by coming up with some way of absurdifying the situation so they can take themselves out of reality and put themselves into an alternative absurd reality where they can just 
live without the fear, shame, pain, trauma in a way, even for a few moments to explore a different reality where it's just absurd. So there's something about the the cognitions, so the, the relationship between the cognitive and emotional experience for the individual because it sounds like for humor to be it to be good humor or good comedy. Let's use the word comedy in this context. But for it to be good comedy, the individual has to connect to the other individual or the situation, and that involves empathy. And that mm-hmm. the, the ability to empathize with this other person's experience and then turn, make a twist <clears throat> with a humorous intention, which then has potentially got compassion involved mm-hmm. in it because your intention is, I can see the pain you're in and that, that my intervention, my my offering you a lighthearted response is my efforts to lighten your lighten your load or lighten your experience. For a moment, the situation remains the same. You know, the, the person you're with is unwell. This, your lifestyle is, you're, you've just lost your job. That's still true. And in this moment, without diminishing that, I am actually just supporting you and the way you think. And that then gives the individual, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm curious now then, the intention then is to what? Now that, now that I feel a little bit better for a moment, where do we go with that? What, what happens now that, okay, I, you know, my, mom, my mom's yeah. still dead and right. I've just had a laugh at, you know, that, that she's left me one of her handbags. That's a great example. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to clarify a couple of things. And, and I think you, you, you see it spot on, Glenn, that it's an invitation for our client for the other person to rewrite or to look at the situation in a new way through humor. And we aren't necessarily creating the joke for them. We're inviting them to absurdify or to insert a new reality so that you can sit in that vacation uh, for, for a brief moment, a respite. So what now? You've just gone on vacation. What now? The invitation is how can you use that skill set the next time you feel that pull to feel that sadness? Ah, oh, and my mom's still gone. Is there a way that you can take a brief vacation to say, <laughs> and she gave me a handbag? <laughs> you know, I was I was her child for this long, and and this is what she gave me. Now, that may not be funny to anyone but you, and it's your joke. And you get the vacation. Uh, one of the, the things that we find essential is that as a witness to it or someone who is supporting that development of humor is that we don't tell you what is funny or what you should Mm. air quotes find funny, but we invite you to evoke what is funny to you and we will laugh with you. We will support you because you're the only one that will be walking that story later. We want you to feel like you can pull from that place of, oh, I can, and I can see this in a different way in this moment. I can have self-compassion in this moment. I can have empathy that, gosh, I am sad and I think it's funny because what humor allows us to do is accept that our lives are full of paradox. I can love someone and dislike them. At the same time. And you know what? That's ridiculous. Mm. That's actually absurd and makes me laugh Mm. if I choose to look at it that way. Mm. 
I can also say, I need to pick a side and I can have pain from feeling two ways about something. And I can feel loss that my parent has passed and I can feel joy that they aren't in pain anymore at the same time, which is ridiculous. And if I choose to find a joke and when I'm sitting in that discomfort that I feel two ways and write a joke about it, then I can revisit it. So it's not, okay, we've cured it, but we're inviting you to take that skill and use it the next time you feel a discomfort. So that much like Lodge described, he sees the world in a humor lens. You go to that as one choice for how you manage discomfort when you're forced to observe a paradox or a discomfort or something unpleasant. It's one of many choices you can make with how you'll manage. And we invite people to try it. Yeah, I keep coming back to uh, the world of acceptance and commitment therapy. I don't know if, yeah, Mallory, you're nodding your head there. Uh, and even your phrase, Lodge, you said it a couple times, use the word diffuse. And not to get into a big thing on ACT right now, but I guess what keeps coming up for me is when we are going through something challenging or facing a decision, we can often be become stuck or fused, to use that language, on the challenge, on the difficulty, on the what ifs, on the histories of it, on the loss or the grief, as we talked about on a re- recent episode as well. And there are a number of ways to get oneself unstuck or defused. Humor is the way that you're allowing that process to, to unfold. And, and there's something like in the moment beneficial about it. If one is laughing, one is often feeling something pleasant. Uh, even if one is laughing through tears or whatever it might be, there's something in the moment that could be gratifying about it. But I would imagine from a functional or practical standpoint that the allowing oneself to view the situation from a different lens, even if it's a completely absurd lens that, gets us unstuck and allows us then to make a decision or to move forward in a problem or to think differently about a situation where they have been kind of on repeat with it. If I'm understanding the the use of it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really way, a really cool way to look at it. It, If, if people are fused, you know, focused on the what if instead of the what is, because that's sort of a misery machine right there. Um, and to get unstuck, yes, this this intervention, this therapeutic humor intervention that we're working on is, I think, certainly addressing that. And as I was listening to what you're saying, I, what I wrote down was it's sort of a, we've gamified it to make it a joyous process from start to finish. So it's pretty instant. It's within moments of engaging into this. It's sort of instant relief. And then the revisitation of the exercises of trying to do it again, whether the same context or other contexts, uh, makes it very accessible for people, very portable. Like if they can literally pull up an exercise on their phone when they're experiencing this again, or pull up the joke they wrote in order to remind themselves of the laugh that they had, the absurdity. So yeah, it's very portable. And we're Mm -hmm. finding that it's extraordinarily powerful for getting people unstuck as well with our clients that we're working with our coaching clients, that's pretty consistent is that it takes these sticky situations that they're in and helps them diffuse it enough. It's not a cure. It's not a magic pill, but it diffuses it enough where they can see it with a little bit more distance. And when we have more distance, we're able to accept both sides of the internal conflict and actually make a decision and move forward. Because when we're stuck, we're stuck. 
We can't move forward. We're just living in one side of that ambivalence. We're stuck in the pain, but getting a little bit of distance from it in a gamified, joyous way seems to help people um, move past that. Yeah, so I'm hearing the containment that that the practitioner is holding someone and creating that space for them to step back, to see the bigger picture, to experience the ambivalence or the paradox and to recognize that that's both normal and perfectly healthy. And it's in that place that the individual then can start to feel freer to make decisions about how they want to move forward. So the, the, the humor that you're, the, the use of humor is the, the creating the space for the, the pain to be put to one side for a second, for the brain to have a bit of space to breathe and then to use its genius to go, okay, so what are my choices? I love that idea of what's the difference between the what if and the what is, you know, that, uh, that there's something I can do with the what is. Uh, you know, I've got this far, now what do I do? And I'd, so this is me throwing my hat in the ring now. It's, it feels like it's appropriate for me to say, can you show us? Can, so I'm curious, how, how do we do that? And as I was getting ready to, to volunteer, I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? So um, it's it's even just the, the, the idea of, as part of my role here on the podcast, that from time to time I put myself forward for a real or role play, and I am often ambivalent about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I wonder how you could help me with my anxiety about fulfilling my what I consider to be my role, but one that often leaves me feeling vulnerable. You know, I was sort of smiling as you're saying that, Glenn, because how natural that is that you don't know what's about to happen. And that's exactly why we start with some absurdity training because, um, and I know the word absurdity training is a word people say, what does that even mean? That sounds ridiculous in and of itself. But you aren't used to being sort of thinking of the unusual, of the unexpected, of the silly. That is not a muscle that you flex on the daily unless you hang out with Lodge and I. So we don't start by saying, okay, tell us your your deep, dark secrets, Glenn. That's That would really lead to discord if we're going to use motivational interviewing language. We start with some engagement. Let's help you feel like you are good at this game. Mm. Uh, by doing some absurdity training and having some fun. And we do that collaboratively. So if it's okay, we have some exercises that we use. And Lodge, do you think we should just pull up a couple exercises or do we want to just verbally share them? What is your idea? Why don't you, why don't we do two? Um, you can choose whichever one you want and I'll I'll choose a different one and we'll invite and see what happens and then we'll do two of the therapeutics so we'll do two of the absurdity training ones to get that feel and then we'll do two therapeutics and and see uh, see what happens so if, if i'm understanding you correctly then what what's about to happen in our conversation is is not, this is not you're not doing the therapy with me now this is you inviting my brain to think differently for a moment yes yes and once i get that then we'll do the next piece yes right okay Exactly. And think of these as warm up exercises. Okay. And I actually think that if it's cool with you, Lodge, I would like Glenn to think about sort of getting silly because right now, Glenn, I can see your job as Glenn Hines, the 
the host of Talking to Change, maybe being Glenn Hines is challenging in and of itself. So I'm curious if you will take on a different persona for the time being, uh, just so you can not feel like you have to be Glenn Hines. I will take on a, a new name myself as well. And we have created a couple of formulas for how you can rename yourself. <laughs> I, I know you see, you're already laughing. Yeah. You're getting it. Yeah. You're doing yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so my name is based on a title mm-hmm. and my favorite food. Yeah. Um, so queen, mm-hmm. which feels obvious to me. Mm. Um, and if anyone knows me well, I am a lover of Oreo cookies. So my name for the brief moment of silliness will be queen double stuff Oreo, um, which is ridiculous to me. Mm. Uh, so I think it's silly. Um, and Lodge, what formula do you use to rename yourself? Sometimes I use uh, uh, my original pet's name plus a piece, piece of clothing plus the word bottom. Uh, so my absurd name is D'Artagnan Sock Bottom. You can call me <laughs> D'Artagnan. <laughs> and I, Folks, you can't see Glenn, but right now he's like, this is uncomfortable. You look like you're already feeling outside of your comfort zone, yeah, which absolutely. tells me yeah, yeah. what's going on for you right now. Like what, what is already going on inside? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the anticipation of, you know, sounds like the, the sort of thing that you would see, pick two names and that's your, your porn name, you know? Uh, <laughs> yes, so, we're not doing that, that today. Yeah, but, it's, but yeah. it's just in the background, there's a... There's an expectation that I should already know how to do this, and I don't. Mm. And I should already yeah. have a, a witty, funny name, and I don't. And, yeah, some judgment. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, so you're already kind of noticing, I don't feel adequate, and I want to learn, and I want to do it right. Yes, yes. And yeah. I should already, and it's not that I want to learn, I should already know how to do it. Yeah. Mm. So let's walk you back on that one. What? Do you have a pet? Yes. That your yeah. your first pet. What what's your first pet's name? Oh well, if it's my first pet that comes to mind, the name is Tommy. 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 All right. Yeah. So nice to meet you, Tommy. Your last name? Not Tommy. Tommy, as in Tommy Wynette. T T A T A M M. You're beautiful. I hear you, Tammy. Okay, so Tammy, nice to meet you. Yeah. And what's an article of clothing in your closet, Glenn? Oh, just the first the first thing came into my head was a pair of pajamas. Okay, pajamas. So your name is now Tammy Pajama Bottoms. Okay. So would you like to introduce yourself? Now I understand the absurdity aspect of this. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, because this it, it would be one thing me doing this with you, just the two or three of us. But the idea of, again, with this concept of, I've got a set of earphones on and I'm speaking on the microphone. Okay, yeah. so I, I'm, I, hello everybody, my name is Tommy Pajama Bottoms. <laughs> In fact, I want to change that, I'm going to change my name to Tommy Tartan Pajama Bottoms. That's there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so why, tell me about why you made that change, Glenn. Why does it need to be Tartan? Oh, because I, 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 just, I can see myself now um, in a pair of Tartan Pajama Bottoms and... Uh, Tommy has a personality that's actually of her own, you know, so I'm gender fluid as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you took on a whole new persona and yeah. folks can't see Sebastian, but right now he's smiling, even though he is not in tartan pajamas himself. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he is he's, observing. He's, he's, he's laughing at my pain. 
<laughs> He's observing. He's observing. So this is why this actually is a great dynamic. And then I'm going to hand it over to Lodge. This is why we typically, when we're going to do a coaching session or even a couple's coaching session, we all participate so that everyone knows the feeling. So there isn't just a witness. Have you ever had your boss watch you do a therapy session? And you're like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? What are they thinking? So we're giving it an exception for the podcast today, letting Sebastian sit back and be a witness. And at the same time, there it changes the dynamic. So I'm just sort of calling that out because we are working through Glenn's self-criticism of, do I know what I'm doing? Am I going to look dumb? Mm. Will people judge me out there listening? When we're in a coaching session, we are working through that self-judgment by absurdifying it knowing that we are there to be so judgment-free that they can absolutely let go of the potential that anyone's going to judge them for saying it wrong, doing it wrong, or being unfunny. They aren't there to be funny or to perform for us. They are there to find a place of absurdity so they can re reduce their, their self-tension. Mm. So I'm going to hand it over to Lodge so he can lead us through one of our first absurdity exercises. Well, that was that was an absurd exercise. And I also want to call attention to uh, what just happened. So what happened was uh, there was an invitation made like Mallory and I modeled. Uh, then there was an intention, uh, invitation made and there was tension with that invitation. Like, ah, I this feels uncomfortable. I'm not sure uh, this is the thing. And then Mallory led you through coming up with uh, Tammy pajama, pajama bottom, and then you modified it to be tartan pajama bottom. Mm. And then there were laughs and smiles and enjoyment. So that was the, uh, uh, the release of some of that tension. So the tension was real. And then we said a few things using humor, using a formula and that tension released. Um, that's a pretty good example of, what we're getting at with clients. And mm. as we attach more meaningful things to that front end, more pain, mm. more struggle, uh, the bigger chance for laughter on the other side. Um, we're finding that as well with, with our coaching that the, the more serious issues people bring in, the more laughter is created from those serious issues. If people bring in sort of more mundane issues, there's less laughter. So it's a fascinating piece because, uh, uh, you know, humor is, about tension and release. So the more tension, the bigger release. It it kind of makes makes sense. So um, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna try a few more structured uh, or a couple more structured uh, absurdity exercises, kind of really quickly to give give you a, a more of an understanding here. So the first thing we want to do with these exercises, uh, and this will make sense in a moment, is we want to think about what is an expected response. Mm. How do we fill in the blank with an expected response? So expected right. responses aren't usually funny. And then we want to walk into what an absurd response might be. Something mm -hmm. absurd is wildly unreasonable and creates sort of a caricature of reality. Um, so those who are listening in, um, you can see if you can fill in these blanks with words and statements that make you make you laugh while while we work on this. So a, a fairly simple one to be at the beginning here as a, a prompt uh, that says, you know, don't be part of the problem, be, and then there's kind of a blank there, right? Mm. So what would be an expected response that you would think that what a normal response, how do you end that statement? So don't be part of the problem, be part what's expected. Be, be the, the solution. Be, yeah. Yeah. That's a common phrase, right? right? So don't be part of the problem, be the solution. Mm. Uh, is that funny? 
No. No, not really. I mean, expected responses typically aren't. So the invitation here is don't be part of the problem B and then come up with an absurd conclusion to that. Mm. What would be ridiculously absurd? Um, that's a different way of finishing that sentence. So it could really be anything. There are no right or wrong answers, but because we're breaking the expectation yep. and removing the solution, almost anything absurd that we drop in there is going to be somewhat humorous. Yes. So again, for me, what's, what's striking me is I'm hearing humor and I'm hearing absurdity. It's, it's going to be a lot easier for me to be absurd than it is for me to be humorous in relation to this. I can't, I, and, and instinctively, I'm not thinking of anything funny to say, but I could be absurd. It's just an open uh, plane. So I, th I think even the way that, it's, that the invitation is framed for me in any way at this point is going, if you said, look, I just want you to be absurd, Without talking about humor, it allows me to go. Well, I can, you know, ask me that again. What, um, don't be part of the problem. Okay, be be a be a sandwich. Be a sandwich. What kind? Yeah. Specifically, what kind of sandwich? Well, it's obviously cheese. A che be a cheese sandwich. Mm. And what does being a cheese sandwich mean to you? Mm. Um, actually, I, I can't see what the purpose of the cheese sandwich is because I see mayonnaise as well. So. Uh, so it's be a cheese and ha a cheese and mayonnaise sandwich, which is it's a satisfying thing. I'm satisfied. So I, okay, so this this is the core of humor, right? So don't be part of the problem. Be a cheese and mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Um, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, and this is an experiment. So there really isn't a differentiation. Using humor, following the rules of humor in the way that we're stating is that we ponder the absurd and we want to differentiate. We're not trying to train people to be comedians. Mm. As this has nothing to do with now you're going to go on stage and tell this joke. Don't be part of the problem. Be a mayonnaise and cheese sandwich. I think that actually might make some people laugh, but I don't mm. think most people would laugh at that. Yeah, That's not the problem. Mallory and I would be in the audience laughing hard at that but like that's not the point it's not about performance this is about practicing a skill set and tacking on be a mayonnaise and cheese sandwich is wonderful practice mm. now the, getting the laughs if that's the goal that will come from yeah. practice mm. but like everything we practice motivational interviewing we practice violin we practice you got to start somewhere just because you pick up a violin and can't play a note the first time doesn't mean that you're never going to be able to play a note on the violin. And a mayonnaise and cheese sandwich is a wonderful, wonderful way to start. So what I am, what, what I am experiencing is relief. Hmm. That's definitely happening. And, and I'm conscious that both the way you and Mallory are having a conversation with me has made me feel more comfortable with, letting you know what I'm thinking and what I'm, what I'm experiencing and that, you know, even moving from what am I going to call myself here to what's your first dog's name and me adding to it. But the way it was received was also very welcoming. And I think that's, I'm witnessing my mind now, even when, even with the, the, the cheese sandwich already, I'm, I'm looking for word associations. I'm looking for, so I can see the links beginning to happen within my mind about, okay, so this is going to lead to something that probably is going to be funny. Hmm. But I'm not, I'm not looking at the discomfort of me doing this. It's now there's something going on where we're moving closer together. And I guess I know this from my own training. Very often when you do an exercise with someone, when they feel fully engaged, they talk about they stop being aware of the audience. They stop being aware of the rest of the class. 
for the 10 or 15 minutes that you were doing the piece, I'm beginning to experience that in my dialogue with the two of you. Hmm. Yeah, that's the being present. That's the benefit and the outcome of experiencing the absurdity and the humor that we are evoking so that you can just be here. It's a place of safety, of no judgment, of joy. And you aren't feeling the what ifs. What is, is gosh, I'm, I'm sort of thinking this is ridiculous. And I, I want to do another one. And that's a pretty great place to be, especially if the rest of your day is going to be filled with other things. And we are just getting you feeling ready to start applying it to those other things. So let's take a step up. We're still in absurdity training, but we sort of walk our clients up levels of absurdity. We start with sort of basic absurdity. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a mayonnaise and cheese sandwich. Uh, then we go to a level two or a level three, which we've established have some emotional relationship or have to mm. peak uh, a different level of tension. And so I'm going to invite you to do this exercise with me, Glenn. It is, um, here's the prompt. It is, I am now fill in the blank years old. Mm. So an expected response would be your age, mm -hmm. of course. And I'm not going to make you tell the audience your, your age. Mm. However, it, an absurd response would be a complaint about yourself that is vulnerable mm. based on your current mm. experience. Right. And I will offer an example. Glenn, I am now reset your Amazon password every time you log in years old. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and that's a vulnerable thing. Mm. Um, but also now I can be honest and sort of laugh about it. Mm. And I'm curious, how would you get absurd uh, with I am now fill in the blank years old? Uh, the first thought that came to my head was something to do with my decay. I can tell my age by how many teeth I've lost or I'm old enough. I'm, I am now so old. I am now old enough to uh, be invisible in a room with, with millenniums. <laughs> And then years old. Yes. I am now invisible in the room with millennials. Years old. Years old. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's look at that prompt. That is in ways. Um, so tell me what that means to you. It means that you're I'm being a little hyperbolic or exaggerating. Does that mean that you feel like you're old? You're. I'm, 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 with the, with the, the teeth thing, it's, it's, I'm, I'm more conscious of, of the truth, which is I'm. I'm on the other side of the hill in the okay. sense of that I am a I actually can witness myself physically decay. Um, uh -huh. So I'm living death. <laughs> so, so this is, this is real tension. I can mm. feel it. Like mm. you're like, I am now um, sliding down the backside of a hill mm. years old. Mm. Um, let's try One and go these, really absurd. This so, I mean, where the, where the laugh came from was this particular, I am now living death years old. Mm. There it is. That's mm -hmm. hysterical because that's a paradox. You yes. can't be living death mm. years old, mm -hmm. but that's, that's a, that's a funny joke. That's yeah. why you laughed at that. That's yeah. why that sparked laughter, that internal conflict. I am now living death years old. 
that's kind of dark humor. Yes. Uh, but that that sparked that actually sparked laughter. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're getting at. Right. Is it? Yeah. Is, is that that admission can lead to some acceptance of. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yes. I've just that's what I am. Yes. I'm OK with that because mm-hmm. I had a little chuckle at it. Yeah. Mm. Did you feel that? How how did that feel? Yeah, I, I get that, that, you know, the idea of the conversation led to where we were in the exchange, it got to, it crystallized to, I am living death. It, and there's so many ways I can I can hear myself experience that, that that's a statement of fact, that I am actually living and witnessing the, the decline of my body mm-hmm. uh, towards my ultimate demise. Um, mm-hmm. That is some time off yet. But it's not that I can see the finish line, but I can I can hear the, the crowds up at the finish line. And, so what, what? And, and just to accept that. It's it's the acceptance of that. It's mm-hmm. it's the truth. And and there's something again it's back to that sense of relief that being able to say that to somebody. And for, yeah. that, to be, and for that to be accepted and for, and and then here it is, for us to have a laugh about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and for, for you to share that laugh with me. That's the piece. I think that you're offering is, is that you can share that laugh of my coming to that realization with me. For sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, if it back to the sort of simple uh, absurdity exercise we did with don't be part of the problem, same concept, same principle here, because saying something like I am living death, that's not funny. That's not much of a joke. And I don't know if anybody would laugh at that, but if you said, I am now living death years old, that has a much more opportunity for yourself and mm. for others that putting it in that frame, that exercise gives it a chance to be seen as humor. Just like you said, I, I wrote another one for you. So I am now witnessing the decline of my body years old. Mm. Uh, same typical, same kind of joke. But if you, for example, made a meme out of that statement, posted it on social media, that would get laughs mm. because it's, it's in the framework of a mm. typical joke. And that's, really what these exercises are. They are focused on self, a little bit of relief. You know, mm. next time you're feeling something like this, you can revisit this exercise and get a moment. But they are also sort of in the framework of what's seen yes. as humor yes. across the internet, for example. Right, right. Yeah. And I, and I suppose from for the purpose of the podcast, again, what I'm witnessing is that this has been taken very seriously and that... That even the efforts that you're making, that both of you are making to support me by offering suggestions or validating that 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 was funny, or mm. that those two pieces there. There's the paradox. It's just coming alongside, and that's back to the the search for the humor or the the exploration of the the absurd or the paradox is yeah. is the box that the frame, but what's inside is the the piece that you're looking for, which is th- this experience of connection that, that's true of all good therapy, which is the relationship and that, that you and I are sharing a relationship and it's in that relationship that the healing takes place. Yeah. Mm. And it is so personal. Mm. We are, what we think is funny is not what this is about. Mm. This is about what is working for you. Mm. Oh, it's, this is what made Glenn laugh. Let's help him discover that because if I only gave suggestions like, does this make you laugh? Does this make you, (laughs) then, then it's not very fun for you. And it's not teaching you to evoke that from within. Mm. It's me performing for you. Right. 
And so it's sort of like the the writing reflex where I want to make you laugh, but actually that's not where the true work is. The true work is being present with and letting you explore it and being evocative to search for it. And Lodge heard it. I missed it. But you laughed. And that means we have to really be focused on, okay, noticing, observing, taking it in. And that is a selfless act. I, I was busy working on how can I evoke this? And Lodge was like, ooh, I, I heard it. Mm. There was a laugh there. Mm. So it's being present as the helper as mm. well. So can, um, I, can I then just check, mm-hmm. check in with, with Seb about his yeah. witnessing of what's going on and what thoughts are coming up for him? Yeah, well, one thought that I was having was how, actually, I don't know if, Mallory Logic used this term earlier, but like how portable this would be for a client in that a lot of therapy involves, you know, when you're noticing yourself feeling X, Y, or Z, do A, B, C, and something different will be on the other side of that, whatever that might be, not just in the room, but, you know, in day-to-day life. And this seems like some people are really into deep breathing and will download apps and do body scans and other people can't stand it. And, you know, it, it just offers another portable transferable skill that might resonate with some people and won't resonate with others where when they're having a tough moment or they're feeling stuck or their kids are driving them crazy or whatever it might be, they can do a, I am blank years old, that I'm blank years old exercise and it temporarily can provide some relief and then offer that moment of, okay, we're kind of, we're starting to limber up our problem solving mechanisms to then say, all right, well, how do I face this now? It doesn't change what's happening. It doesn't make their kids behave differently. It puts them in a different place to be more effective and helpful in, in whatever context they're in. Yeah, and to be a, a slightly reductionist about it, and I apologize for that, um, but, you know, when we're experiencing something that's difficult, that's out of our control, which is m- most things uh, in our lives, most of what causes us uh, consternation is out of our control. And to be reductive, it's like you, you have a couple of options there. You can lean into this is out of my control and it's very painful and I'm going to white knuckle through it. And what we like to offer is, or I can drop that issue into one of these frames and have a moment of levity. And those moments of levity can help diffuse. And the diffusion of that moves us closer to acceptance and more closer to acceptance. We can actually see it more clearly. We're not clouded by the red of our anger or our frustration or of our feelings of overwhelmed. It just dials it back enough to say, oh, right, I don't have control over this. Mm. And maybe that's okay. It just edges people closer to that uh, realization, I think. Yeah, if I can give an example of a time I applied this just out and about was uh, I was in Chicago for the Motivational Interviewing Mint Forum recently. And I am from a small town, so driving in Chicago is quite stressful for me. And I was pulling out of the parking garage and I was pausing to pull out my receipt and I looked at the receipt and it was like a million dollars, which is how much parking is in Chicago, like literally a million dollars. And I was sort of stressed out about that. And then behind me, a person honks their horn and says, you can go. I am 
filled with stress. I am overwhelmed. I'm stressed out that I just spent hundreds of dollars on parking for what felt like an hour. And I now want to yell back. And like, well, you don't know me. And like, I am furious. I am hurt. I'm embarrassed. I'm shamed, like having all these emotions. And I said, oh, yeah. Or I could think of something absurd. So I went into a therapeutic exercise, which was what is the most absurd reason that that woman is in a hurry? Because I'm almost in tears over being honked at. It's ridiculous. So I am driving through the parking garage thinking, why would she be in a hurry? That's ridiculous. And I decided the most ridiculous reason she was in a hurry was because she's absolutely on the way to a children's birthday party where she is making balloon animals. And if she doesn't get there fast, she gets in the line where she has to make swords. And swords are so basic and boring but she wants to make giraffes. And if she doesn't get there fast, then the giraffe guy's going to get there. So let her through, you know, that is, let's go. I support that. I don't want you to have to be stuck making swords again, ma'am. Let's go, please go ahead. And I realized that by the time I got to the bottom of the parking garage, I was laughing about the thought of some woman hurrying to make giraffe animals out of balloons. Now, would that be a joke I could tell on stage? Uh, no, but that made me laugh. And now when mm. people honk at me, mm. I think about balloon animals. Right. It's now where I go right. when people honk at me. And that's pretty amazing mm. that I no longer get stressed out when people honk at me. Mm. Um, because I'm like, well, <laughs> those swords again, yes. sneaking back up on me. So that's what this is. It's training your brain and body to mm. have the neuroplasticity to access it again when in times of stress and pressure, it's not always going to be that same joke and it may not be the same exercise, but I am helping myself use absurdity yeah. to access humor. Yeah. It's an alternative to counting to 10. It's mm -hmm. creating that space. So it's not shouting out the window, hey, buddy, I'll stick this cheese and salad up here. <laughs> it's a callback. I love it. Well done. So it's, it's about not engaging in the unwanted behavior which is getting into an aggressive interaction but yeah. it's catching the moment in whatever way you can and in this example it is just let's make this absurd and yeah. an emotional intelligence it's that idea that it takes six seconds to come out of the emotion and to connect the mind and the heart you need six mm -hmm. seconds to do that and that sounds like that's what you're doing is you're buying those six seconds to bring your reason the your frontal cortex back into play rather than working right. with the back of the brain, which is reactionary to what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking with my MI hat on. So I imagine there's, there, there'll be moments in session where you will do something that we often do in MI, which is ask for permission to engage in or introduce the notion of therapeutic humor for any number of quote unquote presenting problems. There are people who I imagine are showing up, maybe not ready for, engaging in humor to manage their grief or, or whatever it might be. And I, I guess I'm just curious about that process of laying the groundwork initially before introducing one of these exercises. What's that like? Lodge, I know that we do coaching, but I'm curious if you might talk about how, even in a conversation with me, you've introduced, like when I'm sort of up and frustrated, how, how do you usually invite me to test the waters? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question and a very relevant one. And what we're finding is that humor works best when there's tension. And 
which is a marvelous thing to say because there's tension everywhere. Uh, every life is tension. Life is difficult. And so when someone is um, doing something like what sounds or looks like complaining, talking about an ambivalence, uh, any number of these things that can create quite a bit of tension. And once we recognize that, it's exactly as you said, it's it's the invitation of saying, are you interested in engaging in a different way of looking at this? Are you interested in reframing this using humor? And I mean, just a conversation between Mallory and myself, I, I can't remember a time where she said no, because it's a very pleasurable thing. It's basically an invitation of taking a negative and not just diffusing it, but turning it into joy. Um, and so people, I think, in my experience, people tend to desire that. And with the coaching sessions that we do with our clients, they engage in the coaching session with a deep understanding of what this is to begin with. It's very clearly communicated what this work is. I mean, we have like video ads where you see a client go through this. So they know what they're getting into. So it's sort of this tacit agreement up front that me filling out this intake form means that we're going to be engaging in humor to diffuse this particular concept. And just to sprinkle a little bit extra on that, oftentimes it sounds something like, would it be okay if we explore the absurdity? What do you think the most absurd? And then sort of Mm -hmm. you're using a reflection. What absurd reason that woman would be in a hurry? Or we worked with Stan Steindl, who is a compassion expert and MI trainer in Australia. And he shared back with us after um, sharing a conversation that he was working with a client who often talks about the value of humor in his life. And so he asked him to do some absurdity exercises when he heard him talk about the same story several times, just really sitting in that discomfort. And he shared with us that that experience was quite meaningful Mm. for that client. He just said, gosh, would it be okay if we rewrite your story a little bit? Let's try this. And so it really is that ask permission, explore it together, and then It's almost ask, provide, ask if we're talking about motivational interviewing techniques, but the provision is more of provide an opportunity or an invitation and then asking for feedback. And it stands just to tack on this and Stan's particular instance, um, his client, I believe, and which is not an uncommon thing for people. If somebody says that humor is a big part of their life, they identify as someone who uses humor, loves humor. That's kind of the right person. Mm to invite to participate in this because they they're already in the field they're mm. already thinking in that way so they're going to be a really good client with these types of exercises they'll get it quickly they'll they'll see they'll see the value and they'll feel like it's part of their strength mm. already mm. yeah and i can see how you take it down to its best form where you're not actually i'm not going to leave here today and be a humor therapist but i now see there's an opportunity where there's a tool that might be helpful just to go, let's just stretch this. Let's just stretch this idea and see what, what it looks like if we pull it pull it out of context a little bit. And then to be curious, what happens to your thinking? And then what happens to your emotional experience? And what does that mean for you? you the, the absurdity is just to get the ball rolling. But we remain curious about the client's experience, the client's interpretation, the client's meaning of all of this. And that that in itself is makes it a lot more accessible to someone who's not trained as a humor therapist, I guess, is that I can see how looking for that opportunity to just go, okay, look over there, what's happening? And then 
explore over there in the same way using their motivation interviewing or whatever other techniques that a practitioner might be trained on. So given our time, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions from people who have listened to this episode, two of the questions we normally ask at this stage of the podcast would be if people want to get in touch with you as the real people, how might they do that? Yeah, thank you for asking and letting us let people know how to get a hold of us. So my website is MalloryDesal.com and Mallory is spelled M-A-L-L-O-R-I-D-E-S-A-L-L-E.com and you can email me from there and or MalloryDesal at gmail.com and Lodge, how about you? Oh yeah, my website is my name as well. So LodgeMcCammon.com, L-O-D-G-E-M-C-C-A-M-M-O-N.com and they're Lots of resources and things on my website that you can feel free to check out. And also you can contact me through there as well. Fantastic. And are you social media people? Do you have Twitters, Facebooks or? Yes, I have Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. Twitter recently said you're not real. And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) Uh, But so don't try and find me too much on Twitter. Mm. But Lodge, you have all the things. Yeah, I'm I'm on a number of different platforms. All of them are linked from my website. Okay, fantastic. And then the last question we ask is, is what, if anything, is going on for you in your lives now that may be work-related, but that's capturing your attention? Well, one thing that Lodge and I are really excited about is in January, we are going to be offering a four-hour therapeutic humor training uh, with Safer Society, which is an organization in the United States that David Prescott is a part of. David Prescott's another motivational interviewing trainer. So we're excited to give people four hours of training in how to apply therapeutic humor. We are getting this opportunity to share it, and we're excited that it has been recognized by the Association for Social Work, and it's also been acknowledged by the National Board of Certified Counselors and also APA, which is the Association for the American Psychologist or Psychology Association. So we are thrilled to be able to offer an extended training session. And what else are we working on, Lodge, or that excites well, it's you? The, it's the American Psychological Association. Oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, so it's been approved by those three organizations to provide CE credits for mental health providers. Uh, so yeah, it's very, very exciting for us. It's going to be really interesting. And we're going to be continuing, I mean, guess what's on top of my mind is continuing to explore these coaching sessions, both with individuals and with couples. And the couples idea, I think, is is what's foremost in my mind, uh, allowing, because I know what humor has done in my relationship with my girlfriend, sort of our daily lives have been more enriched through the relational aspects of humor. So as she continues to practice humor and I continue to practice it as well, it has really enhanced our relationship. Our relationship, we laugh more together. We find the humor Mm. in lots of things that used to create tension and arguments in our relationship. And it is, it has been a game changer. So really looking forward to working with more couples to see if those uh, methodologies can scale and can improve the relationship of other couples. And the the words that come to my mind, and just as you mentioned that, there's just the lightheartedness of all of this and it's the the genuine experience of the individual of witnessing the world through a light a lightened heart and Mm -hmm. from there they can decide what to do it's you know the idea of a couple in the midst of an argument being able to not necessarily just joke about each other because i can imagine it could be quite cutting at (laughs) that points if we're having an argument but it's about that 
agreement to search for that light space where we both coexist and do that on purpose. Well, one of us do it on purpose and the other one can then come alongside. But it's, it's both of us knowing how to do that and elevating it from the individual to the importance of the couple and working it from that perspective. So it, it's wonderful to hear that, that the work that you've been doing together is, is now being recognised and being promoted. And uh, you mentioned David. David was one of, one of our guests earlier in the podcast, episode 18, and, and a great man he is too. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that that cooperation is developing for you. And on behalf of myself and Seb, Seb has had to uh, go on to another thing. I just want to thank you both for your time and for me personally, the opportunity to step into a place that, that was uncomfortable to consider and was quite comfortable for me to experience. And I can see how the learning in that, having stepped into the discomfort and for it to become comfortable has been something that I can now go away and process and both as an individual but also as a practitioner and trainer to uh, use with, with the people I support. So thank you for that, both. Yeah, you did you did a great job, and I would like to close with something that I found most hilarious from this conversation. We were talking about Mallory and driving and the balloon animals, and I don't know if everybody heard this, but you said, hey, buddy, I'll shove this cheese and mayo sandwich, and then you sort of trailed off, and I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Leave that to your imagination. <laughs> Leave it to the imagination, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much for coming, and uh, all the very best. Take care. Thank you so much. So, as promised, we're going to have a conversation now with Seb about how he used therapeutic humor and, and work. So, tell us what happened then, Seb. Right. So, a bit of context for those who don't know. I'm a psychologist, and uh, I work, uh, well, I, I do several different things clinically, one of which is working on an inpatient psychiatric unit for adolescents. And uh, I do, uh, I run a group therapy um, series uh, each day. The group is not about any particular topic. Uh, actually, sometimes I'll say the group is about change. So it can go in a lot of different directions. And this one particular day recently, I had, you know, a typical conversation as I would with some of the clients that were being discharged that day, right? So they spend just a few days, it's a short-term unit, and I, I really like to engage in them with some discussion about what they would like to be different when they went back home or went back to school. And so this one girl, the 17-year-old girl, was sharing how she was hoping she could discover or learn ways to be less irritable. And so I, you know, I, I reflected that and, and I asked, I was curious about it. So, you know, tell us a bit about what situations you expect to be irritable again. You know, what, what are you anticipate given the day-to-day -day life that you have? And she was describing her relationship with her niece, who is about one year old and who lives in the home. And she was saying how loud her niece is screaming and banging toys and, you know, not necessarily, not really doing anything wrong, but just... This thing that her niece would be doing tends to irritate, irritate her, and she was really wanting to change her experience with her niece. <clears throat> and we're sitting in group, and I thought, wow, I wonder if this would be a time to apply what Mallory and Lodge shared with us about could she, and therefore could the rest of the group, come up with the most ridiculous, absurd reasons for why this patient's niece was making so much noise. <clears throat> so I I offered it. I introduced I introduced the idea just like that. 
And I said, just make stuff up. What's the craziest idea that comes to mind? And so she thought about it a bit and she said, well, maybe there was a huge cockroach that crawled on her. And, you know, the, some of the people in the group kind of chuckled at that. And then wouldn't you know it, as soon as she offered that possible reason, about four hands went up and just we ran around the room and several of the of the other kids shared different ideas. One of the kids said, well, she's training to become a mixed martial arts fighter, you know, and another kid said, well, she's probably training to be in the military where she needs to be really loud and, and things like that. And one of the kids said, well, maybe she she saw Santa Claus walk into that in their living room and she wasn't expecting it, you know. And it was just this wonderful opportunity to like capture this thing that she was hoping to change and hoping to be different. And, and we debriefed it afterwards. And, you know, I just, I said, you know, well, why might that be useful for you? And again, multiple hands come up, you know, the girl in particular, she said, well, she just said simply, it just made me laugh. Okay. So there, there's the sort of the humor part of it and how that sort of shifted for her that from irritability to laughter. But then other kids offered some really great insight as well. Like it kind of gets you curious about why she's crying or making noise as opposed to wishing she would stop or something like that. And another person actually used the word empathy. 16 year old kid said, well, it's, it, you know, kind of made her more experience, more empathy for her niece. So, uh, you know, it was a brief exchange about 10 minutes. You know, I, left group and got in my car and I immediately with much excitement emailed you Glenn and Mallory Lodge just to share the story. Yeah so it's almost like the kids had been to the recording of the podcast and heard Lodge and Mallory explain all of this because when you asked them what was happening they described the very processes about the, the engagement of, of empathy and the shift in their thinking and how easy it was for them to go to the place where, of absurdity and then just look at the experience of that. And I guess then, what did you take away from that and how will that potentially influence your practice going forward then? How, how do you think what you've learned about therapeutic humour, how it can help you in what you do? Yeah, it's, it, like you said, it, it really did seem as if the kids were with us listening into the interview. In, in the debrief in particular, uh, you know, some of the insights they offered as to why coming up with a crazy story like that would be helpful. It was really, really cool to hear teenagers come up with some of the things that, that they did. And, uh, you know, as far as how I might use it going forward, I mean, this is a fairly common conversational structure, I guess, not necessarily topic around irritability per se, but, you know, what would you like to be different when you leave the hospital? Or if I'm seeing somebody who's not in the hospital, what would you like to change with this situation or with working with me? And once I have evoked what they want to be different, then oftentimes the question can become, not always, not immediately, but it can become, how will that take place? How mm -hmm. might that difference manifest? And, you know, therapeutic humor certainly won't be the only way, but it is just an added possible strategy that I might be able to offer to, to a client. So it's another string to your bow. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Seven. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people out there who will now go with some more enthusiasm and, and curiosity to explore how they can introduce absurdity and humour into their practice to be supportive of their clients. Absolutely.